So as you know, we're going through, we've got a series called Habakkuk. We're going through the book of Habakkuk, trusting God in troubled times. And today's message is titled, When the Works of God Don't Make Sense. Before we start, let's just um, open in quick prayer. And thank you. Father, yes, we know that your word is truth. I pray that we will open our hearts and open our ears to the truth today. And that you'll please guide us as we study your word. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, so Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a minor prophet. Not because he's not important, but because the book is only three chapters long. And it's an unusual book. Normally, prophets speak to the people on behalf of God. But here in Habakkuk, we see something different. We see a dialogue between God and the prophet. We started two weeks ago with Habakkuk's complaint. That was verses 1 to 4. If you remember, Habakkuk was deeply troubled at the state of his own nation, at the state of Judah. He saw injustice, and he saw corruption, and he saw that it was happening quite in the open. And um, his complaint was, why does God remain silent? We saw in verse 2, he said, Habakkuk 1 verse 2, How long, O Lord, Will I cry for help and you not hear? He was crying for help because of the injustice. Verse 4, the law is ignored and justice is perverted. Now the question on Bacchus' mind was, how can a good God just stand by idly while evil triumphs in this world? Remember, Pastor Garrett explained that when we pray, we don't have to worry. We can pray honestly. We can ask the hard questions. And that we shouldn't turn away from God. doesn't matter how hard the topic is that we're praying. We may wrestle with God. He said, pray until you pray and trust God in your prayer. And doesn't that remind us of um, a parable, a parable that Jesus had? Who remembers the parable of the unjust judge? In this parable... There was a judge who lacks compassion. He had no regard for man and no regard for God. But he has been um, repeatedly being approached by this woman who was seeking justice. And he kept on ignoring her. But eventually, he eventually honors her request for justice because she was wearing him down. And why did Jesus tell this parable? He tells this parable for, to his disciples to make them understand that if this judge, who is an unjust judge, finally listens to this woman's request, then how much more will your Father in heaven listen to the faithful prayers of his own children when they cry out for help? Okay, then we went to the second week. That was last week. And we looked at the Lord's answer. Habakkuk 1 verse 5 and 6 said, that this is now the Lord speaking back to Habakkuk, and he says, I'm going to do something that you will not believe. I will raise up the Chaldeans. Okay? Now, during this time, this was quite a prophecy, during this time, the Assyrians were the big dog. The Assyrians were ruling everything. They were the superpower of the time. The Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian kingdom, what it's called, or the Assyrian Empire, was the superpower for 300 years. 
they dominated the ancient Near East. At this time, they've already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, which is where Habakkuk is, they were already paying tribute to the Assyrians. What does that mean? It, it means that, almost like the mafia movies, you pay protection money. You know? That's what was happening here. Judah was paying protection money to the Assyrians. So they were already under the thumb of the Assyrians. But here God is saying, saying I will raise up the Chaldeans. Chaldeans were a nation just um, southeast of the Assyrians. They were causing trouble. They were a warlike nation. But they weren't yet a superpower. Remember Pastor Gareth said last week that history is his story. It's God's story. Well, eventually, the Chaldeans did sweep through the Middle East. They made conquests wherever they went. Eventually, they conquered and they replaced the Assyrians. And then they established Babylon as the capital city. And that's why they became known as the Babylonians. Right? And not long after that, they actually destroyed and defeated the kingdom of Judah. Jerusalem was captured. King Solomon's temple was destroyed. And all the leading people of the kingdom of Judah were taken to Babylon as prisoners of war, just as Habakkuk prophesied. Imagine, imagine getting this prophecy from God 50 years, 100 years before it actually happened. There's a current superpower but God says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans as the instrument of my judgment. Last week, we, we asked at our Bible study, what does it mean that God will raise up the Chaldeans as the instrument for his judgment? And Elvis had such a good answer. He said, if Judah fell to the Assyrians, people might have thought, you know what? The Assyrians were already the superpower. All these other nations have already fallen to them. It was just our turn. But now they had no doubt because a prophecy 50 years or 100 years before they fell said God's going to raise up the Chaldeans. And they would also know why they fell because God said, I'm going to use them as my instrument of judgment. There'd be no doubt. Right, that's how we get to today's passage, which is Habakkuk's second complaint. So if you'll please stand with me um, as we read today's passage. Habakkuk 1, verses 12 to 17. Habakkuk second complaint. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings them all up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. He makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury. And his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Thank you. you may be seated. Right, that's Habakkuk's second complaint. And um, 
My talk today has got three points, and the first point is reverence for God. Chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. So this is a backwards reaction if we have to summarize it. He said, wait, what? I don't understand. This, this sort of seems unfair, this punishment that's coming. But notice that even in Habakkuk's confusion, right, in his frustration, in his complaint, Habakkuk expresses respect and worship for God. When he addresses God, in his complaint, in verse 12, he's got four names for God. God's covenant name, Yahweh. You'll see there in verse 12, it says the word Lord, but it's in capital letters. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In English, that is an indication for us in English that we are referring to God's covenantial name, the name that he gave Moses, I am who I am. Then he also says in verse 12, my God, my holy one, my rock. Can you see the reverence even though he is frustrated when he prays to God about this difficult questions he's got? He's still got respect for God. How do we pray when we don't understand what's going on, when we are frustrated with God? Do we still have fear and trembling in our heart? Do we still have respect for God, even when we're complaining? Let's, um, let's go through the verses and lead, read it carefully. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, a rock, have established them for reproof. Okay, Habakkuk understands. He says, you have appointed them. So he understands that God has appointed them, as a cho he has chosen them to punish Judah for their sins. But he also knows that even though they will be judged, and rightly judged, they will not be completely destroyed. That's why he says there, we will not die. And, and why does he say that? Why does he know they will not be completely destroyed? It's because they've got a back door where some of them can escape? No, it's because of the character of God. He knows God. He knows that God is a promise keeper. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Moses, with the nation of Israel. So he knows, even through this punishment, even though many will die, God will still keep a remnant. God will still keep his nation intact. Then in verse 13, my second point, I don't understand Verse 13, you are of purer eyes than to see evil, and you cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Right? Habakkuk knows God. He knows that God is holy. He knows that God cannot look approvingly on evil. So why is God using more wicked people to punish sinful people? Or why is God using a more wicked nation to punish a less wicked nation? That's his second complaint. He carries on in verse 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. Habakkuk's charge against God is that he is allowing mankind to act like leaderless creatures, like lower creatures. You know. They're vulnerable. They're helpless. It's because there's no rulers, no judges. And then... 
Then he changes from verse 15. You know, verses 12 to 14, he says, you, you. So he addresses God. But now, in the next few verses, he's going to say, he, he. Now he's referring to the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Listen to verse 15. He brings them all up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Habakkuk here is using a fishing metaphor. And um, it's interesting that the Assyrians, before the Babylonians, they used to do this. They used to take away their captives with hooks in their noses. Uh, this was intentionally painful and humiliating. We actually saw, see that in um, Amos 4, chapter 2. Uh, um, Amos chapter 4, verse 2, where Amos was prophesying to the nation of Israel. Amos 4, 2. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness. The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. Right? So this is not a metaphor. This is, this is literal. Then in verse 15, he also says he drags them out with his net. This is an image of fish helplessly being dragged in a, out in a net. Um, did you know that they found Mesopotamian art from that period that portrays, that portrays prisoners in nets being hauled off to captivity? Verse 16, Therefore he sacrifices to his net, and he makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. His net refers there to their military might. Right? Other nations, they used to go to their gods. They'd go to their gods, the priests and the prophets would do their thing, and they would say, yes, you guys, we're good to go. Whoever our god is said, yeah, we can go into battle. But not the Babylonians. They trusted their military might. That's why he says they make sacrifices to their net. They make offerings to their dragnet. Their military might is their God. Then verse 17. Easy then to keep on employing his net and mercilessly killing nations forever. Habakkuk is asking, you know, if God doesn't stop them, will they on killing forever? Will they go on killing forever? Surely God will have to step in at one time. So in summary, what Habakkuk is saying is, in his second complaint is, in his first complaint he said, God, will you just stand idly and watch as evil triumphs in my own nation, all this corruption? Then God said, you will not believe what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans as an instrument of judgment. And now Habakkuk's second complaint, it's like, God, how can you use a more wicked nation to punish a less wicked nation? I just don't understand so these are some hard questions, right? And um, when, we, when we read the Bible, you know, we, we intentionally go through books verse by verse. We don't skip any parts of the Bible. It forces us to look at the difficult questions. Right? It's easy to always just preach on God is love. That's the message we all want to hear. But when you get to, situ to passages like this, forces you to, to, to actually look in the mirror, to actually look at God and say, what is going on here? Who is this God that we are serving? Now, for the answers of all these questions, there's only one place to go, and that is the character of God. That's why my third point is knowing God. 
Remember, whenever we read the Bible, we must always ask ourselves one question. And that is, what does this passage tell me about God? The Bible is full of stories, a lot of lessons for us, but there's an overarching narrative there. God. What is the Bible telling me about God? Who is this God? You know, Christianity is a revealed religion. That means God has revealed himself to humankind. He's revealed himself to Abraham, revealed himself to Moses, revealed himself to the prophets. It's not a religion that was made up from reason. You know, where, the, where the philosophers of this world was thinking, you know what, what's the meaning of life? And they came up with, with ideas. No, this is a revealed religion. God has revealed himself to humankind. And the Bible is his divine word. The Bible is more than just history. It's more than just a record of, of, of God's deeds. The, in Scripture, we possess a revelation, a, di a disclosure of the character and purposes of God. So first, when we want to answer these difficult questions and we look at the Bible and we look at the character of God, we see we must remember that God is holy. He is pure and He is morally perfect. Let's go through a few verses quickly. Isaiah 6.3 Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Deuteronomy 32.4 A God of faithfulness and without iniquity just and upright is he. Hebrews 6.18, because it is impossible for God to lie. Today, Habakkuk 1.13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. James 1.13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt evil. So just a few examples that to remind us that God is holy. God is pure. God is morally perfect. Once we've got that firmly established, let's look at the next thing. What does the Bible teach us about God? That God is a just judge. And he always gives each person what they rightly deserve. Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Psalm 89.14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Isaiah 61.8, for I, the Lord, love justice. Job 34.12, surely God, you will not act wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. So if anyone is innocent, the good judge will declare them innocent. If anyone is guilty, the good judge will declare them guilty. Right? We make the mistake of thinking, um, okay, imagine a judge. There's a court case. You are in this court case. The accused has been found with a smoking gun in his hand in front of the victim at the scene of the crime. He has confessed to the murder. You are in the courtroom because the person who got murdered is someone you dearly loved. And here's the judge. And the judge looks at the murderer 
And he says, you know what? I'm a loving judge. I forgive you. What do you think I will feel like? Well, I say, wow, that is a loving judge. No, I'll say, that is, that is a perverted judge. That's perverting justice. There was no justice. And sometimes we think of God that way. God is a loving God, but He cannot negotiate His justice. The two aren't separate. His love is a holy love. His justice is a holy justice. He cannot do something that is contrary to his own character. Right? So um, let's look at the situation that's happening here with the nation of Judah. Please go with me to Leviticus 20. That's the third book of the Bible. So this is a scene that plays out long before they possessed the Holy Land, long before Jerusalem was established as a city. This is when um, a bunch of slaves were freed out of Egypt and God is revealing himself to them in the desert. Leviticus 20, we're going to read from verse 22. Now, just before Leviticus 20, God talks about punishment for child sacrifice. He's talking about punishment for sexual immorality. And then in verse 22, he says, You shall therefore keep all of my statutes and all of my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make for yourselves detestable by beasts or by birds or by anything that by, by which the ground with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord holy, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. All right? Can you see what's going on there? The promise that the covenant God is making with the people. The land will not spew them out as long as they are holy, and they keep his commandments, because they are special, set apart as his nation. Right, as history continues, as the Bible tells us, after the king of Solomon, the next king was worse than the king before him. And the moral state of the nation just went downwards as king after king. Eventually we get to 2 Kings 17, from verse 19. If you want to have a look there, 2 Kings 17... From verse 16. 2 Kings 17, from verse 16. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and daughters as offerings and used divination and omens, and saw themselves to evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Right? Can you see, it's not just that, that they had another God. 
they totally were immoral. They turned their back on God. They even sacrificed their own sons and daughters as offerings. Right, let's get back to the character of God, knowing God. God is holy, He is not evil, and God is just. A just God will pass correct judgment, fair judgment. It is not possible for God to leave the guilty unpunished. It is contrary to God's character to leave the guilty unpunished. Now God's justice is perfectly displayed and most clearly seen at the cross. What happened at the cross? God was so unwilling or unable to overlook sin that he poured out his wrath on his own son. Here we have Jesus. He was a sinless man. Jesus was not guilty, but he got punished. We are sinful. We are guilty of breaking God's law. But now, on the last day of judgment, we will not get punished. We will inherit the righteousness. What, what happened there? I thought God is a good judge. Isn't there some unfairness going on there? No, this was God's perfect plan. What happened is that Jesus was made to be sin. He was made to be a curse for us in our place. There's a substitute going on, on the cross. And that happened in order that, may, that, that he may receive our punishment. And in that way, God's perfect justice is still satisfied. There was still satisfaction for justice. God did not negotiate his justice. Now, this judgment that God has for us, or, or God's perfect judgment, there's, there's a temporary judgment and there's an eternal judgment, right? The temporary judgment happens in our lives during this time while we are on earth. And um, when we get punished now in this life, as the nation of Judah got punished in their lifetime, we should actually praise God that he cares enough to punish us now so that we may come to our senses. We should thank God for his faithfulness, that he will raise up, rise up, that he's, he is so jealous for his commitment to us that, that he will punish us, that we may come to our senses. I mean, if God was like me, I would just turn my back and say, that's it, I've had enough. You guys, I've given you a few chances. Now, it's over. But not God. God fights for us. Hebrews 12, verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves. Then there's the eternal judgment. One day we will not get another chance. That is the day of judgment, the final day. Then eternal justice will be on display. Acts 17, 31 says, For he has set a day when he will judge the whole world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising this man from the dead. Right, we also looked at this actually in, um, in our catechisms. Remember we had this, the catechisms going from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. before the church service. And, and there, were, there were two sections that actually dealt with Jesus substituted for us and how it still um, uh, uh, satisfied God's justice. I'm not going to 
look at it now. <laughs> but, um, but you can go look at it. It's question 24 and 25 of our catechism, right? So, in conclusion, remember that history is God's story. But what we've seen here is that the future is also God's story. God is the provident God. The beginning and the end all belongs to God. In today's scripture, we looked at when the works of God don't make sense. And the answer we have is that even if the works of God don't make sense to us today in our situation, what we have to do is we have to know God. By knowing God, we can be comforted. By knowing God, the God that's been revealed in the Bible, we know that He is a good God. We know that He is a loving God. And thank God that He is in control of everything. There is not one maverick molecule in this whole universe. Everything is under God's full control. And I leave you with this. Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trusting the Lord with all your heart. And we can do that because of who He is. Praise God for who He is. Praise God for the God we have. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, our Father, thank you that you do not make excuses for yourself. You have shown yourself for who you are. You have revealed yourself to us in Scripture. In Scripture, we have everything we need to know you. And Father, I pray that we will take courage in who you are, and that you are a good God, and that if you have reached out to us, and that you are faithful to us, even though we are unfaithful. Father, will you please help us in our unfaithfulness, that we may glorify you and love you forever. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.